good movie buddies to the Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie theater popcorn and other movie snacks like a PB&J sandwich, but only if it's cut perfectly and not crookedly, because if it's cut crookedly, we have to do it all over again. As always, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson, and joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian Machine. Mr. David Melhorn. David, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing great. I yeah. uh, caught a late, late viewing of this. I still don't 11 know. 11 p.m. viewing. I still don't know how you do it. I still, I, I, I have refused to try and measure pretty much anything that I do to what you do because you're a madman. You are, D- David, for those of you who don't know David, The way I know David. David is a a married father of two who is a director of sales for a technology company that we work for. Red Tail. Shout out to Red Tail Technology. Good good movie buddies. Good friends of the podcast. Supporters of the podcast. Supporters of the podcast. (laughs) uh, Who also coaches several sports at our high school and goes to see movies at 11 o'clock for the podcast and stays up till ungodly hours of the morning and i just i'm tired of thinking about your life like it exhausts me just thinking about it but i wanted to give you i wanted i wanted the people to know i wanted the good movie buddies to know that you may possess superhuman abilities could be but you <laughs> want to know something else about the late night showings you get things like what i got in mind last night yeah What'd you get? Legit snoring in the theater. Really? The entire movie long. Really? Before, during previews, there was a dude. <laughs> he was in the third row. This is the downside of these recliner chairs at this point. Um, he was reclined back, and I think it was uh, Us. That trailer came on. Okay. Up, and it gets to a point where it goes a little quiet, and all you hear is... <laughs> Jesus. And literally throughout the entire two plus hour movie or whatever running time it is, snoring. That's phenomenal. Snoring throughout <laughs> the entire film. I can't even believe that. That is crazy. So ultimately we are here. <laughs> that's a that's a great story to tell uh, for our lead in to our episode all about glass. The the finale of the East Rail 177 trilogy by M. Night Shyamalan started nearly 20 years ago with Unbreakable and then revived seemingly two years ago with Split and now we are here talking about Glass. For those of you who are completely unaware, Glass uh, ultimately follows the conclusion of Split and it finds David Dunn, played by Bruce Willis, uh, who is now known as the Overseer, Pursuing Kevin Wendell Crumb's superhuman figure of the beast in a series of escalating encounters. And while all that is happening, the shadowy presence of Elijah Price, uh, who is now known as Mr. Glass, emerges as an orchestrator who holds secrets critical to both men. And it really, David, is... uh, This movie is going to be fascinating to talk about. I'm already seeing a lot of conversations on on film Twitter TM uh, as I like to call it or the online film community about whether or not this movie is good, all right? So let's just get that right off of our chest right here as we sit here. Uh David, I, I'll just make a, a grand statement. I thought this movie was pretty good. I would even go so far as to say it's great, pretty great, kind of great. You know, it's not perfect. It has a few flaws in it, uh, flaws that seemingly have come carried over from Unbreakable and Split. So they just they might just be flaws in the way Shyamalan makes his movies. But what about you? What? How did you when you walked out of this film late at night and you hopefully walked past that man who was uh, sleeping? Mm-hmm. Did you think that this was a good movie? I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good movie. I mean, to me, I think if you thought, especially if you thought Unbreakable was a good movie, sure. I think, I don't know why you wouldn't think this was a 
good movie. And it's it's weird to me to see, and, and we don't like to get too much into what critics are saying and that kind of stuff, but it's weird to me to see people who saw Unbreakable and really liked it mm-hmm. say they, for some reason, did not like this film. And, and I haven't dug into them, quite frankly, because it's been less than 24 hours since sure. I... I watched it and I like to stay away from the critics, especially before I see it. So it doesn't taint my view of it. Um, but at the same time, like to me, this felt very in line with what we saw. And even with split, the only reason I don't say if you like split, you'll like this because split was such a unique movie on its own. Right. Because it was really just the James McAvoy show. And you got a lot of that in this (laughs) film, but that wasn't the only center of this film. Like that was obviously a big part of it, but that obviously wasn't the main central piece of the film like it was with Split. So exactly. I could see you liking Split and not liking Unbreakable or this, but I don't see how you liked Unbreakable and didn't like this. That's a really interesting point. So that kind of takes us to talking about it, not only as a culmination of a trilogy, but also its relationship with Unbreakable and Split in the sense that um, I found it to be a mashup of the two. Unbreakable uh, was a really deliberate, one might even say slow-paced character piece about people with seeming seemingly superheroic powers kind of coming into the light of a real world, right? And again, it's very uh it's very low-key, it's very subtle, it's not super colorful unless until it means to be it's not super intense although it does have quite a few sequences that are really really high tension uh and yeah i mean it's it's so well made it's such an efficient story and then split is basically a straight up horror movie you know i mean it is it's it, there's more to it than that obviously but it is uh it's certainly more framed as a horror movie. And I found glass to be basically just a mashup of the two in the sense that there are huge stretches of this film that are very slowly paced. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, I guess the nice way to say it is they're deliberately paced. Um, but there's a lot of conversations to be had. There's a lot of psychology, you know, psychiatrist meetings and whatnot. But it's also interspliced and has moments that are pulled from Split where, where you know, fucking James McAvoy's climbing on the walls and stuff and it's extremely creepy. You know, so I actually was fascinated by the way that it took more so Unbreakable than Split. It took the vibes of each of those two films, kind of smashed them together in what I felt to be a perfect follow up to the movies that have come before. Um, how, did you notice that? Did you? Because I know you're not the biggest horror movie fan, although we're we're warming you up to it for sure. But did you see, like, I mean, particularly without getting into spoilers in this first section, particularly the, obviously, the first 30 minutes um, are certainly more split-like. Yeah, well, I mean, I think any scene that James McAvoy is in, it's going to feel like split in a lot of ways. And the way that they treat his character from the standpoint of, like... um, you know, things that we got in the first film, like when he's crawling, when, especially like the beast moments. Sure. Um, and then obviously all his other characters and that um, very reminiscent of that. And then I think you have in the other ways too, um, especially to me, it echoed like the colors. Cause I don't really remember feeling like he messed a whole lot, like with color because we pretty much had like just like the psychiatrist, uh, the therapists, mm-hmm office and you had where he was keeping the girls those were pretty much the two locations we had in split um whereas in this one obviously you had all over and in unbreakable you have a lot of different areas and so i think the tone and the colors within it reminded me a lot of unbreakable more um even like different scenes like you have some scenes with with glass where it's like very kind of purplishly hues and things like that. And then you have like just the really dark, like lack of color with um, Bruce Willis's scenes and a lot of that as well. So um, I think there's a lot of the, just the filmmaking aspects that reminded you of the two and kind of blended the two together, depending who was on screen. Sure. I I mean, (laughs) there's a funny touch, but you can see it in, in all this is not a spoiler uh, because it's in all the promotional materials. It's on the poster itself. 
But this movie is set in a psychiatric, you know, hospital, memorial hospital. And to your point about colors, there's the scene where all three of them are sitting together. Now, you would think, David, that a psychiatric hospital would have a, a uniform amount of what a uniform wardrobe for its patients, right? When you go to a hospital, everybody's wearing the same hospital gown and whatnot. And when you see asylums or prisons or other institutions, they all have their own, you know, outfits. But this movie is, is it, it, I found it to be a nice touch in that Bruce Willis's, uh, uh, his, uh, clothes are gr green and James McAvoy's clothes are yellow and, uh, Samuel Jackson's clothes are, are purple, slightly so. Slightly purple. Slightly More like your traditional so. hospital kind of blue. Very purple. faded. Yeah. Very yeah. lots of pastels and, and whatnot, as they're sitting in a big pastel pink room. Yes. Uh, but that's you know, that's a really great touch as to why and how he uses color. Now, I one of the biggest conversations to have about this film without getting into spoilers to me is the idea of expectation and the idea of uh, an artist telling a story that he wants to tell versus telling a story that the audience wants him to tell. And I'll, we'll start with expectation. Obviously, Unbreakable, when it came out in the year 2000, it, it has been regarded as one of uh, Shyamalan's best films beyond The Sixth Sense. I think it's pretty much universally understood that it's Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, and then a drop-down signs village and then several drops down to everything else i think some people might have signs closer to unbreakable than perhaps than village perhaps um but we we've had 20 years or i guess 17 where we were oh gosh we wish he would have made a sequel to this film like it's 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 the movie that lends itself the best to a sequel right and in those 17 years between unbreakable and split we have had so many things happen with movies we've had Superman, two Supermans, we've had two Batmans, we've had two Jokers, we've had the Dark Knight trilogy, we've had the entire MCU, we've seen the rise and fall and rise again of the DCU, we got Spider-Verses, we got Venoms, we got all kinds of stuff, right? The, and in 2000, it was fu it's funny to go back and watch Unbreakable and watch how kind of deliberate it is in explaining comic books. And in hindsight, comic books, comic books and comic book characters and all of that, they are all of the rage now. And so we had our, the, 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 the society at large had their consciousness sort of changed in regards to comic books. And then Split happened and Bruce Willis showed up at the end of it and everybody who was like in the know about it, everybody who was a fan of Unbreakable f lost their minds because this is one of the best, you know, ending twists ever. In that that film was like a pseudo sequel, not a pseudo sequel, it's just a straight up unbreakable sequel for the most part in terms of being in the same universe. And so then Glass comes out. And David, I think it's safe to say without any spoilers that this is most likely the movie that not a lot of people were expecting to get. Well, I mean... It depends, based and off, we'll get into that. Based off of if you came in expecting more Marvel movie than M. Night... That's what movie. I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you came in with those expectations, then yeah, you're definitely not going to get um, the film that you traditionally get from what we've been trained in the last, you know, couple decades of, sure. of superhero movies. That being said, if you paid attention at all to the last two films, sure. this film should not be that surprising. There will be surprising events in it and <laughs> things that take you by surprise of what happens. But the overall film itself should fit in line very much so with everything that we watched right. thus far. And everything about it, from its pace to the characters to the story twists that it takes. Even going back, one of the biggest criticisms I've seen of this film, and admittedly one sort of nitpick that I have, is that as this film is discussing comic book mythology, heroes, villains, how these comic books play out, it kind of reminds me of that one friend who is super nerdy about one particular thing. And it's this one friend that even though your entire group of friends kind of is, you know, in the know about, let's say, basketball, right? I'm in the know about basketball. Uh, we have a group of friends that's in the know about basketball. 
but you could, you don't, but you could get like super nerdy explaining basketball and your group of friends could be like, no, like we get it. Like we get the idea of basketball. And meanwhile, you're like, no, but the nuance of this and this and this is like, no, we get it. We get the concept of basketball. That's what Shyamalan feels like he did not only in Unbreakable, but also this, in that they they really, really take their time to explain the comic book tropes and the superhero mythology and the superhero tropes and things like that. And that really turns some people off. But to me, that's, again, as you said, fits in line with everything Shyamalan has done previously. You know, and so I, I just I think everything from the pace of the film to the way the film plays out this is not an expensive film either. I think it cost uh, what did it cost? Uh, 20 million bucks, you know, yeah. it's not that expensive of the, a film. Uh, the middle of the three, I think. Uh, yeah, split. the first one cost 75. Split, I think, was like 15. Split was nine. Was it nine? Yeah, Split yeah. was nine, and Super. this is 20. I just am like, this is exactly what I would have expected. One of my favorite parts about this world is the fact that it is not... Su- Number one, man, there's so much to talk about this freaking movie, David. Number one, I love the fact that the entire philosophy of this universe is that comic books are historical documents that have been fictionalized so many times over and over again that they are ridiculous. You know, Superman being able to fly and the Hulk turning into a giant green rage monster. But these this movie posits that there are people who are not that. They're not, they're not flying, you know, through the skies or whatever, but they're just 110% better or 120% better. And I think that's a big thing. I think people went in expecting people to be throwing cars and shit in this movie. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, it goes to the fact that um, this was meant to be something in which more of like a real life example of like what it would be like with superheroes. Like unless you're going to see them flying around and those types of things, like it's it's almost more I think you have to almost more think of it as more like if you went really super early X-Men. Yeah. Like before there was the X-Men yeah. and it was like, there's just these mutants that we don't really realize are living <laughs> amongst us. And again, X-Men takes it a number of steps further than sure. what this is. Um, but it's a little bit more, it's more X-Men than it is like Marvel. Like Marvel is the over the top, the spandex, the, the costumes, the, right. all that kind of stuff. And yes, X-Men got there eventually, but like initially at its root, especially in a lot of the origin stories, it was just these gifted people. Sure. Um, and so I think uh, it's always harder to throw in the fact that this is a comic book movie. Again, not based on comics, but like it's, it is. <laughs> it's, it's a comic book movie in the sense that comics are central to the theme. It's not a comic like in, book movie in that uh, we're adapting the comics. Right. It's like Incredibles. Like Incredibles is – no, I'm not – that's not even the correct, uh, correct thing. It's a comic book movie in that it is literally about – Comics. A guy who loves comics and who thinks comics are – a historical record yeah. of some way, shape, it, or it, form. It's best to just look at it as what it is and not try to compare this to anything else. And it's I know true. it's natural for us to do that, but I think um, even not comparing it to what we've gotten from Shyamalan other than what we've gotten in this series, because I think a lot of people are like, you know, one of the criticisms of this to some point too is there's not enough twists or like the twists weren't good enough like right. for a Shyamalan movie. Which and I it's disagree. like- and it's like, look, like whether you think that or not, like that doesn't mean this is a bad film. Just because like you came in expecting some like jaw dropping, like six cents, like everybody's dead, like spectacle <laughs> twist. Like, uh, sorry for anybody that hasn't seen six cents. Spo- spoiler alert. Um, but that doesn't mean this is a bad movie just because it didn't have the twist that you were hoping for. Well, and that gets back to expectation and 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 the fascinating. You know, I mean, it's film in general. Film is art, you know. Film is commercial art. It's stuff that makes money. So it, on one hand, it is a product. And, and according to that, according to any building or, or offering of a product, you want to get the consumer input. You want to put the product out that the consumers will buy. Yet, at the same time, filmmaking is an art form. And this just happens to be a film 
that is being peddled and produced by two of the biggest product makers in the game, Universal and Disney, but it's a piece of art. It is a isolated trilogy that an artist, a filmmaker, wanted to tell, a story that he wanted to tell. And yes, you absolutely have the right to be disappointed in it, if, if it doesn't hit the, the correct buttons for sure. you. But at the same time, you have to respect the fact that this is an artist telling a story that he wants to tell with no, you know, no equivocations, no compromises. I really respect that. Well, uh, it's not a crowd pleaser. Yeah. Well, and, and here's the thing I'll say before we go into our ratings so we can stop talking in obscurities about it and talking about <laughs> yes. specifics. Um, but I think one of the things that's really neat to see as you're talking about like it being an artist and thing like that is just pure budget. We talked about what the heck made Unbreakable so expensive. And it had to have been that they were paying for Peak Willis and Peak Jackson. Like that's, that's the only thing that I could see. Um but to see them come back, both of them come back literally eight, 19 years later, almost almost 19 years later sure. to do this again and to wrap up this film says, says to me, and again, I'm sure some of it's neither of them are in the peak of what they used to be from sure. that. I mean, obviously Jackson's uh, getting that Avengers money. But, yeah, he is. Um, so is McAvoy. Well, he, well, maybe we'll see. He's getting that Fox money. Sure. Bruce is doing those shitty direct-to-video but, sequels. But what I'm getting at is both of them cared enough about this to say 19 years later, yes, we'll do this again. Yeah. Like, and they'll come back. And the thing that ab- about it further, you know, just kind of wrapping that up would be you see it in their performances. Like, I think both of them do a really good job, especially Jackson, who can be accused sometimes of maybe some punching some checks at times and just being Sam Jackson in the yeah, film. Or overacting. Um, or overacting. And I thought he he did a really good job in this. I thought he was some of his scenes were the most entertaining scenes in the film. Right. And I mean, it goes without saying that McAvoy, I mean, back to split and this is genuinely an awards worthy performance. The yeah. stuff that he does, the switching in between characters and whatnot. It's really phenomenal. And then Bruce, Bruce is Bruce. Bruce really hasn't been on fire in a long time, but this character actually fits into that in that David Dunn is stoic. He's not a big emotional guy, but he shows Moments of humor. He shows moments of, of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Distress and stuff. And, and it's effective. Um, and so having that all put together, I think, made a, to, to us, you know, I think I can comfortably say to us, a pretty solid conclusion to the series. So let's give it a popcorn rating. For those of you who have never listened to an episode before or have never heard our popcorn ratings, we have five popcorn ratings that we go by. Burnt popcorn means the movie is garbage. Don't waste your time on it. Stale popcorn means you probably shouldn't spend top dollar for it. Maybe wait for it to be on Amazon Prime or Netflix or something. Microwave popcorn means your mileage may vary. You might like this film. It might be right up your alley, or you might not like it. There's nothing wrong with some good microwave popcorn, but it's also not nearly the best that you can do. Movie theater popcorn is pretty darn good. You know, it's it's that experience that you should probably go see it on the big screen. Maybe not immediately. Maybe, you know, don't have to clear your schedule for it, but it's definitely worth checking out. And then perfect popcorn is the peak It is go out and see this movie on the biggest screen that you can as soon as possible. And for me, I'm going to give, uh, I'm going to give glass movie theater popcorn. I'm going to give it the movie theater popcorn. I think that it does have its flaws. I think that its flaws are in its creator. I think that it is, you know, a little bit too talky. And I think that sometimes the dialogue is a little stilted. There are some supporting performances that range from, Hey, that's pretty good to, Oh boy, that's not great, you know? So, but at the same time, I think if you watch Unbreakable and you watch Split and you realize the trilogy that exists there, I think you're going to find a lot of rewarding things out of this movie. Shyamalan is still such a fascinating director. You know, it's almost as if this was made in France or something. I bet you, I bet you, if some, you know, somebody from Poland or whatever made this fucking movie that it would, oh my God, it's amazing. This is an amazing trilogy from M. Night Shyamalan of Poland or whatever the hell. So anyways, four popcorns. That's what I'm going to give it. What about you? I'm four popcorns as well. Again, I think it wasn't perfect. Um, I would say from a performances standpoint, the thing that lets it down, 
I didn't really see any disappointment out of the what I would call the four leads in this film. Um, sure. The three heroes and then our Paulson, therapist, Sarah Paulson. Sarah yeah. Paulson. Very good. Um, but I do think um, Anya Taylor-Joy, Spencer Treat Clark, uh, Charlene, Charlene Woodward. Woodward. Not, not the they're, greatest. They're, they're not fantastic. And I think that lends to... Some people's biggest issue was with the ending a little bit sure, um, and not feeling the emotional connection. And I think that could be due somewhat to the performances of those secondary people. Um, but again, um, I think it was a very good ending to a very unique and entertaining um, uh, series or franchise. Very much so. Very much so. Excellent. Before we continue, I want to make sure that I remind everybody that you can get regular episodes of this podcast delivered to you for free wherever you are listening by hitting that subscribe button, following wherever, whatever you're listening on. Just take a couple of minutes. We super appreciate it. If you just take a couple of minutes, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, throw five stars up there, write a review, share the popcorn diet with any of the good movie buddies in your life so we can build that good movie bunny community. And speaking of community, we also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and maybe consider becoming a patron of the podcast. You know, we want to expand the podcast. We want to improve the podcast and you can help by becoming a patron. Not only that, but you also get some cool swag and uh, some patron exclusive episodes like the two franchise refills episodes we did leading up to this. We did an entire two separate secret patron only episodes on Unbreakable and Split. And you can only hear those by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Of course, I don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at the popcorn diet. And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, reviews, Oscar predictions, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But now, we talk spoilers, David. And <laughs> I don't even know where to start with the spoilers on this film. First off, if we listen, if you go back to the uh, split, uh, number one, I want to I wanna, I, I wanna say I'm very proud of myself. If you go back to the split franchise refills, made a couple predictions. You forced me to make a prediction. I did. I predicted that the train would come into play, and mm -hmm. it did. The train was Kevin Wendell Crumb's father was on the train, and I predicted that that would lead to him killing Elijah, which it did pretty much. I didn't think everybody would fucking die, <laughs> so so there's that. Um, but I am proud of those two predictions. Uh, so you know I want to puff my chest on it a little bit, but but ah, uh, man, where do we even start with this, man? I mean, I think a big place is to talk about. I mean, we've already discussed. The traditional superhero film versus the plans of Shyamalan in this film, which kind of, I mean, to me, Shyamalan, it feels like he's using Elijah as a surrogate here. Yeah. Because you look at your traditional superhero film and it is always about the hero rising above and being able to defeat the new villain and whatnot. And that's what they want you to think this movie is about. That's what all the marketing wants you to think that this movie is about. Hell, that's what this movie wants you to think the movie is about for about sure. 90 minutes. And then everyone dies. Sure. Well, and I think that's where, like we were talking about earlier, I think you get a little bit of X-Men in this in the sense that you almost get like Bruce Willis as that, like Charles Xavier, like everybody needs to be protected. No one deserves to die, that kind of thing. Sure. And then you get that glass character that's more of the magneto character that's like i'm willing to kill whoever i'm willing it takes. to kill whoever it takes like we're i'm a marginalized part of society sure. you got the beast who all the unpure the people haven't suffered like we've suffered type of thing and so right. you get them where it's like it's not necessarily obviously they are bad people but it's not like they're just doing it at random. Right. Um, they're doing it because they feel wronged from that standpoint. Right. And so, but it turns out that there is something that kind of unites them all. Not that we ever get that moment of them all teaming up against that force, but we see them all suffer the same fates at people that are afraid or concerned of people that are different or people right. that have these special powers and it, they just don't believe that those people should exist in their world. There's an entire surprise, surprise. There's an entire secret society 
that exists to – it turns out that everything that Elijah said is true, number yeah. one. And that, yes, super people – super-powered people have existed for thousands of years and this society – this this behind the scenes secret society with the with the clover tattoo uh, is a a force dedicated to making sure the public doesn't find out about these gifted individuals. Yeah. And the doctors, Doctor uh, Doctor Staple, played by Sarah Paulson, turns out to be one of the biggest sort of I don't know front people for this organization in her efforts to try and talk these people, these three people out of the fact that they may have superhuman abilities. Yeah. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> Elijah, Elijah realized in the long run that they are more in a superhero world than even he anticipated. Sure. You know, and his plan, I mean, the whole movie, you think, you know, they, they, they fucking, oh man, I love this movie. They foreshadow, they red herring you with the Osaka tower. Yeah. Forever. The whole, the whole movie. They're like, tower's going to be opening and you're setting it all like, this is going to be this important place where the showdown is about to go down. And all the way up until the end, you think like the showdown's going to go down there, but it doesn't. It goes down in a parking lot of a psychiatric facility with like eight people around. Yeah. And, uh, I think that that's really cool. I like that Shyamalan. I read that Shyamalan turned down a larger budget so that he could tell this specific story. Yeah, you know, and I respect that a lot. Um, but again, going back, like I love, I love the fact that this this film and this universe is not interested in showing us flying people or people hurdling cars or people turning into gigantic green or blue or purple monsters it is just that 120 percent you know bruce is just he could lift 500 pounds but that's that's about it and he has the 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 cognition of of being able to see people's sins and whatnot and well sam jackson's just a little bit smarter right well, i and, love that and well and they're they show restraint too like they don't go over the top with bruce willis and like show him you know getting shot up with machine guns and right. showing like his skin just not being able to be, you know, broken or those things like they don't go over the top with any of this. And, um, you easily could have done that. Like in that end scene, plenty of people had guns. Like you could have had people trying to shoot Bruce Willis and right. it not working. Right. Uh, you could have had that happen earlier in the movie too. There's a couple opportunities where you could do that. Um, they don't, you know, overdo it with James McAvoy's character in the beast. I, he's the one that I think gets to sh show off his character the most oh, in this, sure. obviously. Um, and then obviously Samuel L's, um, with, with, uh, Mr. Glass, you see a lot of it after, um, all of his brilliance after it, it kind of all act. comes to go. And I think as we were talking about this earlier, it almost plays out, the ending almost plays out like the ending to a, uh, heist movie right? in that, you watched everything happen, and then it wasn't As like it they seems. showed you pieces. Like we saw Mr. Glass on the computer hacking, right? But we thought, you know, maybe he's disabling the security, right? You know, whatever he's doing, he's probably just making their exit a lot easier. We see him deliberately say, "Let's go through the basement." Mm -hmm. You think maybe that's a you know quieter way of getting out? Like we can go underground, we can get out of there, and it was all the opposite of what he was doing. Exactly. He wasn't turning off the security videos. He was making sure they were on and recording and were broadcasting somewhere. Yes. And he wasn't going to the basement to avoid people. He was going to the basement to run into people and go by the most cameras possible. Right. So uh, it was cool to see all of that, um, even just in, your, in the movie and watching it, your expectations versus uh, what actually was happening on the screen. But I think the other thing that comes into maybe people not being as surprised by the what happened in the film as compared to maybe other Shyamalan movies. Sure. I think it's because we've been trained so much, not just in these two films, but in Shyamalan's movies in general, right. to not trust what we're seeing on the screen or to believe that there's more there's always to another this. angle. There's always more to this. There's always uh, a different angle. There's always something to that. And so I think we become better observers of the film and also more guarded to just taking things at surface value. Like I was talking to you earlier when they're going through the therapy and she's trying to convince them that like 
you're not actually special. Sure. You're just you're, you're really good at reading somebody's like, state or whatever. Yeah, like you're not actually visually seeing that. Like you're just really great at observing that he had brick on his pants uh-huh. and that he was young and meet, <laughs> met the description of of this person and those types of things. You you more just put all that together in your own mind and projected something versus actually saw it. Sure. Um, and so like it's a compelling argument and you start to think like, okay, like this is plausible. Is this really where we're going? Like I can't, I can't imagine Shyamalan's going to make all of these three movies and then it's going to be like, look, they're just ordinary people. Bullshit. Like it was all garbage. <laughs> like, um, and so like you, you knew from somewhat with that, but at the same time, like you're so much more guarded, I think than the first time you watched unbreakable, like no one knew what it was going to be. You knew it was right. Shyamalan and you knew he did six cents, but you didn't know, whether this was going to be another, like, big twist movie. Absolutely. I mean, it's like fool me once, you know. As you grow as a society, you just a society in general, you know. As you grow as a person, you realize that, you know, oh, remember when your dad would grab your nose and show your thumb and it all got your nose? At a certain point in your life, you realize that's bullshit. That's fake. That's not true. And you learn to expect things. You learn to anticipate things. And I think you're 100% right in that when Shyamalan first started, he took everybody you know, by surprise. But now it's a lot harder to get twists past people because people are always over overanalyzing to the point where I think it even becomes a detriment to some simpler films. You know, you see people all the time with fan theories about, oh, what if it's this? I saw one online today where it's... Uh, oh, Avengers Infinity War, Peter Parker never got off his school bus. And I'm like, get out of here. Like, you're, you're reading too much into it. But you can never read too much into, into Shyamalan because this guy has such an attention to detail. And again, you, you, you mentioned it. You mentioned how some people might have an issue connecting with this film emotionally. And that's a, a fairly good point. You know, this movie is a lot less about emotional resonance and a lot more about the characters and the plot and the overall goal of the story unfolding in the way that Shyamalan wants to tell it. And a big key factor in that are the little attentions to detail that he brings from the previous films. Case in point, you look at Split, right? Split, it is established throughout that film that Casey has been is in an abusive relationship with her uncle and when split ends they're like your uncle is here and it's like oh shit that's kind of terrible how is she going to now grow from this experience you know and i'm not going to get into the conversation about abuse victims always growing stronger from yeah. their abuse that's that's not what we're here for but in this film she it is established that she's with her foster family and she put her uncle in jail that made her a better person mm-hmm. the same is true with joseph working with his father you know it was established that he thought his father was amazing, and now he's his dad's Alfred, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, being able to run different algorithms and whatnot, and being smarter than his dad when it comes to the the, the computer stuff. My favorite one, though, <laughs> this is my favorite one in Unbreakable, and in, in all of Shyamalan's films, he does a cameo. It's very Hitchcockian of him. Sure. In Unbreakable, he cameoed as a drug dealer that Bruce Willis confronted at the uh, college football stadium Mm -hmm. and ultimately couldn't get arrested, didn't have any drugs on him, right? And then in Split, he plays a character that is officially titled J, Hooter's Lover because he plays a security guy who works with the therapist in that movie and Mm -hmm. who's talking about how much he loves Hooters. And then in this film, he shows up in the security shop and makes those two the same person. Mm -hmm. And he goes to Bruce Willis and he says, hey, don't I recognize you? Didn't you work at the stadium before? And he goes, yeah, a long time ago. He goes, yeah, man, I used to hang down there with some unsavory individuals, but I got my life in order. (laughs) It's like, you son of a bitch. Like that kind of attention to detail yeah, sometimes it's a, it's meanders a little bit. And yeah, sometimes it gets and this is too harsh. This is this is not I don't mean it as as a negative thing, but sometimes it gets bogged down in over-explaining some things and mm-hmm. whatnot. But just that attention to detail, it's just so deliberate. Sure. And I love that because there's no question that this is 100% what Shyamalan wanted to do. Yeah. Well, and I think even just to that expectations, I think one of the lines in the movie that perfectly sums it up is Samuel L. talking to his his mom, mm-hmm. and he says, uh, 
this was not a limited edition. edition. This was an origin story. Yeah. And so just the whole concept of everybody felt like split or split and unbreakable were origin stories, which they were. But sure. everybody assumed this one was the Cul- Avengers the movie or, you know, the uh, the Age of Ultra, the you know, those, 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 those types of films. Yeah. Like they were expecting that type of thing when really, I mean, this is never going to expand into anything more. I don't think Maybe. you never know in this world where Maybe. we prefer used <laughs> content versus new creative content. Yep. Get that um, IP, baby. Exactly. Um, so never say never that we couldn't have like the story of this whole like cloverleaf uh organization hunting down heroes and the battle between them like sure. we could easily have that but um i do think it's interesting in how he presented it as like this isn't a limited edition this is an origin story so it was the origin of them getting all these people who have hidden the shadows with these gifts to come out and embrace them that kind of thing almost like i said that's why like a lot of it just echoed back to x-men for me in a lot sure. of ways in that these people who felt like they needed to hide because they were different or those types of things or were not as good or as he put it a mistake um because of his disease yeah were actually really um you know encouraged to come out and it was the origin of them all coming out and, and being accepted and those types of things. I so. love it. I love the way that, yeah, this is probably going to be a closed trilogy, mm-hmm. but by the time that this movie ends, there is enough mythology established and a universe that has to quote the film, the beginning of a universe per se, yeah. um, that you could make prequels about, about earlier instances of superhumans or sequels rising up. You can make more sequels because now this, you know, this universe has opened up in a way that you can go anywhere and tell anything. It'd be really cool. This is just a random idea. It'd be really cool to embrace this universe and do it in like a Cloverfield esque way. Anthology. Where you just have different filmmakers tell their own story in this universe. I love that. Um, I love that. That'd be really cool. That'd be fantastic. Now, that being said, the film does have its fair share of showdowns. Did you find them to be satisfying? Obviously, I think that I I found them to be satisfying. I thought the initial fight between David and the Beast is like, all right, these guys are evenly matched. Let's rock and roll. And then the end was we finally got some cars getting flipped over. But I love that that was like the strongest thing that happened. Yeah. As he flipped a car. Well, and I think it it goes to it stays true to what it is like we established in the first film. And granted, they had 15 years to work with. So if they wanted to say that Bruce Willis learned Kung Fu. Yeah. In between got the super 15 duper years. Strong. Got super duper strong. Well, and he doesn't even need to do that, but just became a better fighter. Remember, the only thing we saw him do in the first film was choke a dude out. Like, <laughs> That's right. It's not like he did a bunch of punches and kicks and jumps and dodging and all that kind of stuff. I would venture he literally to s- walked behind the dude and choked him out. I like, would venture to say that uh, uh, using this film as evidence, Bruce Willis is still not super convincing at throwing a punch. No. So... <laughs> There wasn't – they stayed true and didn't try to make like now this overseer is suddenly someone who can like do all crates of sort of crazy action. Like right. he mostly sticks to the shadows, you know, freed the – like if he could have, he would have freed the cheerleaders and gotten out of there. Yeah. Um, and kind of does the things in the shadows, um, beat up a couple of like teenage kids right. or college kids, like that kind of thing. So, right. um I mean, I, like I think sh- I think they're satisfying from the standpoint like it would have been out of character if you had more sure. from it. Like if you had some crazy epic battle of like the Beast and and uh, Bruce Willis's characters throwing all these crazy punches and jumping around and all that kind of stuff. Like <laughs> it wouldn't have been in character if you suddenly had like Mr. Glass like manipulating a bunch of things right. and things like that. Like it all wouldn't have been in character. It would have been too big of a leap for what we had seen so far. And what's um, funny, what's funny is that films ever since Unbreakable, their studios to varying degrees of success, mostly failures, have tried to make the gritty realistic comic book movie. One of the one of the ones that reminds me sort of like this film is Chronicle which was that found footage film with Michael B. Jordan and Dane DeHane, uh, Dane DeHaan, excuse me, where they got superpowers. They could fly and they were super strong and telekinetic and stuff. But even then, they could fly and were super strong and were telekinetic. This is still positing that the most... The, the the most super powered people out there are just 120% more. Yep. To me, what was more satisfying than the actual physical showdowns 
was when you finally got to see Samuel starting to operate. Because yeah. he spends a lot of the movie catat- seemingly catatonic, right? Underneath a bunch of pills and stuff. And then he rolls in to uh, to uh, McAvoy's room and opens up the arm of his wheelchair. He's like, I'm hiding him. Yeah. First name Mr., last name Glass. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. The wheels are spinning. But they stuck to what made his character what it was and unbreakable in that he still came off even just the way that he introduced himself as Mr. Glass and how he did it it echoed of like almost adolescence to some point of like a nerdy comic book type of person like the way that he behaved and explained things even and all that kind of stuff when he was talking with his mom and that like it echoed more of like something like you'd expect a kid to say Mm -hmm. versus like this grown man that's got gray hair and everything, you know, like, um, so it kept really true with that. And I think that's what made those characters so, um, endearing and so engaging. And I think, you know, I think you do get some emotion, um, from like, especially the Bruce Willis and the, and his son. Like, I think that's the one that had the most emotion for you. Like, I think really feeling for James McAvoy and, um, and Taylor, Joy, Casey, sure. Casey Cook, the survivor, like that relationship, like it's tough to really feel like that connection um, that being as, said, as well as the one with his mom. Sure. Whereas you get that natural father and son. And that was like the central theme in a lot of ways of unbreakable, the relationship between sure. those. And then you see now them grown up and it's a feel good, like they're together and yeah. dependent and close and mom's died and you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I think that one was the one that probably had the most emotional connection, but sure. I could see why people struggled with the other ones too. I, I mean, I, I mean, listen, I didn't roll a tear or anything, but when Kevin is talking to Casey at the end, the, the craziest thing is that they don't really kill each other. You know, the beasts, and the horde, they punch Elijah in the chest, and that's pretty much enough for him to go down. His bones all shatter, his chest caves in and shit like that. But David, the overseer, Bruce Willis, he's drowning a, to quote uh, your highness, he's drowning a shallow fucking pond, like literally a, a pothole filled with water because water's his weakness. And these like shadow military guys come in or shadow cops or whatever, and they drown him in a pond and they shoot. McAvoy in the gut with a sniper rifle when he's out of beast mode. And I found that to be affecting. I can certainly see how people would feel shit like, oh, this sucks. He's getting drowned by these these no-name foot soldiers and whatever. But that was, I mean, again, that's kind of the point in that the long game wasn't them beating anybody. The long game was a suicide mission. I love the end when the doctor's at the comic book store and they're like, oh, the mastermind. He's always got the plan that you can never see coming. And I knew yeah. that that was going to trigger that heist montage. Sure. And I'm like, yes. Oh, what's the plan? Yeah. Oh, like it really paid off in that. They, people just need to realize that yeah, that I understand why that's disappointing, but that was never the plan. Yeah, every everybody wants the happy ending of like Bruce Willis still being alive. Oh, he was you know maybe he was somehow faked it or right. you know like maybe somehow they brought him back or like maybe like McAvoy off screen like because we've been so conditioned that like these types of twists happen like sure. maybe McAvoy off screen turned into the beast and like somehow that like healed his bullet wounds or like he's really okay like everybody's so conditioned to those types of things to still give you like that happy ending from that standpoint and like i like when movies don't just like go lazy and and, or not lazy but go the traditional routes and that's that to me is why this movie is so much Shyamalan is that it doesn't stick to the traditional things that you're used to happening it doesn't always give you the feel good or exactly what you think is happening going on and I like that he doesn't cave to because you easily he could have easily made a traditional end to this franchise and it not have felt completely out of character like right. he could have gone for some the, other types of twists the beast is dead elijah's in jail and bruce willis is standing on the roof t- corner rooftop with his arms at his sides ever vigilant over the yeah. city not interested he's no. not interested i it wouldn't have been nearly as memorable so going back to one thing that we talked about but the last question is do you, could there be a sequel 
I think we already said it a little bit, but there definitely could. I mean, sure. they open plenty of doors for there to be a sequel. Um, and Not even, with these characters, And though. even <laughs> even to your point, they open... Well, there's plenty of characters still left that could be in a sequel. Sure. You have the three relatives that, you know, engineer with obviously tons of Elijah's help distributing these mm-hmm. videos and getting that out there. You have this secret organization that was supposedly going to be moving on to the next town. Mm-hmm. Um, so you already have that kind of, um, built in that built mythology in. built in that. History. And so you have plenty of that. Like you said, you could do a prequel if you really wanted to. Um, but yeah, I mean, you definitely have it. Do I think it's going to happen? No, not unless Shyamalan gets desperate for checks and a studio throws a lot of money at him. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the funny thing is, is that he's also positioned this. I, I mean, we, I'm, you know, like you said, we're always thinking about that existing IP, right? He's positioning this in a way that they don't need to use any of these existing characters, but they could use the universe. Yeah. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. The whole concept of these not larger than life heroes, the whole yeah. concept of, you know, the more gritty, dark, like they just are a little bit better than everybody else, like that kind of thing. Um, that's established. You also have this universe where there's an organization that doesn't like that and is counter to that. Right. So I think, uh, yeah, there's definitely that universe and that foundation foundation laid. Um, and you could even have callbacks to some of the characters that we had in this. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think we're going to get it, though. Probably not. But then um, again, I didn't think we were going to get a whole trilogy out of this when Unbreakable that's went. That's a fair point. Anything is possible for sure. But I'm glad that this movie got made. I'm glad that Universal and Shyamalan got to make this movie. To me, it was worth 20 years. I think this is a really, really, really weird and unique and interesting trilogy and an interesting deconstruction of comic books and mythology in a way that just literally spits in the face of everything else that existed. So I, I think you should check it out, but you should 1000% check out Unbreakable and Split before you do. Uh, before we wrap it up again, want to remind everybody that you can get this podcast delivered to you for free by hitting that subscribe button. Give us a like, give us a rating, write us a review, share, share us with your friends and your family. Also, don't forget, Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider becoming a patron of the podcast. Uh, of course, you can always find us on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at the popcorn diet. And then, of course, head to popcorndietpodcast.com for our review of glass and all of our other articles, reviews, Oscar predictions and more. Again, you can find that on popcorndietpodcast.com. But. For the superhuman, or I guess maybe we should say gifted, Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rook Williamson, and we'll see you next time with another good movie on the Popcorn Diet. Adios.